Hey Neighbors Church, Dan and Alexis here. We're so glad to be with you today. Uh, I just want to take a moment and say thank you. We've had such an incredible um, amount of feedback and encouragement uh, from those of you who are listening. Just yeah, like just our community, old friends from Seattle, like all around. It's just been this connection point with so many people in our lives. It's been amazing. It has. We've been so blessed by the texts and notes of encouragement, uh, phone calls. Just thank you. But that got us thinking. Uh, it would be incredible to hear from you. Um, maybe you have a topic or a question that Dan and I could have a conversation around. We'd love to know what that is. And so if you would want to email info at sdneighbors.church, Dan and I would love to have a conversation around it. Again, that's info at sdneighbors.church. Yeah. You know, Alexis and I um, definitely do not have all the answers. In fact, <laughs> this this podcast, this conversations podcast is really, uh, we just have learned that exploring the human experience together is just a great joy for us. So we decided let's explore the human experience, our own and that of others, with microphones in front of our faces. And this idea of you guys, you know, sending us your experience, what do you want to talk about? What are you thinking about? What are you dealing with? I don't know. It creates a little more collective sense in the community and for, for my wife and I. That's something very, very valuable to us. While we can't see your faces and while you can't see us sitting in our closet right now, uh, there's a connectivity in this thing that we are thriving on. And there's a community being formed in it that is really precious. And so that's why we're going for this. And really through COVID, it's kind of amplified everyone's experiences, what they're going through, um, maybe things that you were struggling with have really popped up during this season just because everything has so dramatically changed in our lives. And so it's just been incredible to have this season, to have these conversations. Who knows how long it'll last for, mm -hmm. but it's an incredible time to just be the church together and talk about real human experience. Let's do it. Let's talk about real human experience. We've got a topic for today. We'll introduce it with uh, an old kind of sitcom drama thing that my wife and I got caught up in. Maybe you watched this show years ago. It was this show called Parenthood. I don't know how many I of you guys... I loved Parenthood. <laughs> yeah, it was your classic hook writing, uh, very predictable, uh, easy, easy watching, no thinking, just kind of zone out on it. But there was this one, this one part of the show where the patriarch and the matriarch who struggled in their marriage all the time got into counseling. <laughs> and, um, actually, I think Lex and I like this show so much because uh, this older couple kind of reminded us of ourselves. The husband was, um, hmm, let's be kind here. The husband was opinionated. and, and <laughs> Maybe a little domineering. <laughs> Maybe a little domineering at times. And the, the wife oftentimes um, just could not get herself to a place where she felt like she was being understood. And so this couple, they enter into marriage counseling, and, and then this counselor gives to this somewhat belligerent, opinionated man a practice that he's to engage in with his wife every time they get into a conflict. And he was to pause, he was to stop in the middle of the conflict and let her talk, and then he was to use these words, I see you and... I hear you. 
And so actually it was like this moment of counseling for me with my beautiful wife. Like, that's brilliant. Mm -hmm. When we're getting ramped up, I need to like put a cap on the volcano and the lawyering and philosophizing about life and just say to my wife right now, I hear you and I see you. That is uh, the big idea for today. Not so much in our personal relationships with each other, not so much in marriage, but how do we come to a place where we feel and experience ourselves as being seen by God and being heard by God, being understood by God? Because I know in my experience there are many seasons where it feels, my personal experience feels as if God has his fingers in his ears to my prayers. I'm praying and the Lord uh, has his fingers in his ears going, blah, 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 blah. it's like he's just turned a deaf ear. And both my wife and I, and I know you, dear friend, have gone through seasons where the circumstances felt and seemed as if God had turned a blind eye, as if he just wasn't looking at what was going on in your life, and you weren't experiencing being seen and being heard and being cared for and being understood by your Father. I think if we are um, humble and if we are honest and if we let the facade and the mask of religion fall away from us, for the bulk of us, this is an all too often experience. Mm -hmm. Not feeling understood, not feeling seen, not feeling heard by God. And I think that our conversation today, we want to open up the door and give permission for that experience to be explored and for that pain to be uh, processed and to talk through it in a way where you feel safe and you feel heard and you feel seen, not just by, you know, a couple of humans on a podcast in your earbuds, but by God himself, who indeed is seeing you and who indeed is hearing you and understand you better than you understand you. <laughs> you know, each of us have had experiences in our relationships or perhaps we've endured uh, trying circumstances that can really distort our view of God. Um, in a relationship, you know, if you've been used by someone or, or even felt like you were being used. Yeah, or maybe you've been misunderstood or stereotyped, um, or perhaps even like that feeling of like, I'm being pigeonholed. Um, or maybe in circumstances, you literally feel like everything has just vanished from your life and you're just like in this barren wasteland desert and nothing's happening. All of these um, types of experiences, whether it's relationally or circumstantially, emotionally, all of these things create moments where who we truly are um, as feeling not seen and not heard, it, it feels like um, a part of ourselves die. Um, the other night we were reflecting with our kids on the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar, and Ishmael. 
And we discovered some profound insights that we really want to talk with you guys. This is kind of what catapulted this conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, If you guys remember the story of Hagar, she was an Egyptian slave. And so even with that, like already her sense of value and worth was most likely destroyed. I mean, really, she was nothing more than a possession of other humans. And she was used like she was sexually used. So you're not only feeling like a slave, but you're also being sexually abused and used. Yeah, I think this is an important point to just jump in and and remind you uh, to not sanitize the Bible. If you were raised in the church, uh, you might have kind of the flannel graph storyboard in your mind, uh, David and Goliath, and Father Abraham had many sons. Many Mm -hmm. sons had Father Abraham, these cute little songs. Well, the Bible actually gives to us a record of of um, human behavior that is much more accurate and reflective of our complex and sinful identities. Father Abraham did have many sons. Father Abraham also sexually abused an Egyptian slave woman. There is some really gnarly, disgusting stuff going on in the text of Scripture because the text of Scripture is revealing really, the narrative of broken humanity. And so we have to recognize up front, when we get into these stories, when we get into these biblical stories, we're dealing with real experience and not the sanitized version. Again, that tears away kind of the religious facade that we put over our Christianity, Mm -hmm. and it gets us into the guts of what's going on, whether we are, at times, Abraham and Sarah, where we are abusive and using, um, or where we feel like we are Hagar, And we are the slaves of our circumstances. We are the slaves of these situations that are out of our control. Yeah, and so Hagar, like Dan said, she was abused for Abraham and Sarah's own personal agenda. They had been promised a son. They were getting old. I mean, if I'm Sarah, I'm thinking, all right, (laughs) I'm elderly. I'm not going to have a son. You know, you... You want to take control of the situation, and that's exactly what they did, rather than trusting in the promise of Yahweh. And so Hagar's sexually used by Abraham and Sarah to produce a child for this couple. It was their way of trying to fulfill the promise of Yahweh. Hmm. And honestly, it's, it's so terrible. It's tragic. Well, then Hagar conceives, and then Sarah becomes jealous of her and ultimately says, cast her out. Like, I don't want her here. And so Abraham says, all right, go ahead, cast her out. So Hagar is cast out um, in this ultimate moment of most likely not being seen or heard by humans or her circumstances weren't seen. And this is where God meets her. It's so important that you hear that right now. God meets this used and abused, cast-aside woman, um, meets her in her point of greatest desperation and her moment of greatest desolation. Mm -hmm. And there is a profound reality for us to live into right now as you're listening to this podcast and you, you find yourself circumstantially or relationally in a place of man, am I seen? Am I heard? 
it's that moment where God comes to Hagar. And maybe in some measure, dear friend, God might come to you through even this text and this podcast to say to you, I am hearing you and I am seeing you. So in the passage itself, we read this. Hagar's been cast out into the deserts, a place where surely she will die. You need to understand that this is the end of this woman. Her casting aside into the deserts out of the protective provision of the patriarch, Abraham, means certainly her death. The angel of the Lord, who is this mysterious character throughout the Old Testament, he is the angel of the Lord, the embodiment of Yahweh. Some would say Jesus himself in the Old Testament. I'm inclined in that direction myself as a theologian. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, and so God now meets this woman in her desolation, and he begins to communicate with her. He begins to draw her out. He begins to ask her what he already knows, but he wants to have a conversation with her. It's, mm-hmm. it's the practice of prayer, intimate, real prayer. Our father, even going clear back to the garden, Adam, what have you done? <laughs> he knows, but he's going to draw us into conversation. So the angel of the Lord asks Hagar, Hagar, and he calls her what she is slave of Sarai. Where have you come from and where are you going? And she responded, I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai. The angel of the Lord told her, now this is difficult. Go back to your mistress and submit to her. There's so much point of meditation in that. Go back into the relationship or the circumstance or the, the, the hurt. Go back to that place that has cast you aside or that has made... Don't flee from it. Stay with it and stay in it is the instruction of the Lord. We can't elaborate on that. We want to get to something further down the text line here. But then the angel of the Lord added, I will increase your descendants so much that they will be too numerous to count. Again, we could just develop an entire conversation around this. This abused and used cast aside slave woman is given the exact same promise that the abusive casting aside Abraham is given who messed up the promise by using her. That was a complicated sentence. Abraham has promised, you're going to have a son and his lineage is going to be numbered beyond the stars. You won't even be able to number him. Abraham gets in the way, uses this woman to try to produce God's plan in his own ability and strategy. And then God says to this woman, because he is merciful and because he always keeps his covenant and his promise, Hagar, your children too. I'm going to bless you just like I wanted to bless Abraham and Sarai. Though it feels desolate right now, though it feels like you're going to die and you've been cast aside, hold on. Don't flee from the situation. I am going to multiply you. I promise you. The same promise. It's very powerful. Then the angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now pregnant and you will give birth to a son. You shall name him Ishmael. For the Lord has heard of your misery. The Lord has heard of your misery. Now, there's this issue that comes up with Ishmael, and it's foretold that he will be a wild donkey of a man. Uh, that's a nice way of saying he's going to be a he's going to be a something. His hand his his hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand against him, and he will live in hostility toward all of his brothers. And so, Sarah, or excuse me, Hagar hears this promise, receives this promise, and even 
is given instruction on what to name this promise, this child that's going to be given to her out in the midst of her desolation. And it's important because Ishmael breaks down into uh, the Hebrew roots of E-Shama-El. For any of you that have any sort of Hebrew training or have heard any teachings on the great Shama, that's the Hebrew verb for listen, the root for the word listen or for hearing. Shama, the great Shama. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. God comes to this woman when she feels the least heard. And he says, I promise you, I'm going to make you as bountiful as those who have beaten you and bruised you. I'm going to do for you what I want to do for all humanity. I'm going to multiply you. And I want you to name this kid in your womb, Ishamael. El is the word for God. God hears. Ishamael. Ishmael. God hears. It's so profound. So she has this moment with God where in her desolation, she's heard and this promise is given that he is the God who hears and the child will be named Ishamael. God hears. And her response is this. She gave this name to the Lord. Now she responds back to the Lord, having this experience of being heard. You are the God who sees me. For she said, I have now seen the one who sees me. Hagar, in her moment of desolation and brokenness and discouragement, experienced God coming to her. And she heard God hearing her, Ishmael, Ishmael, and she saw God seeing her. That is the promise that God holds out to us in these times of, of breaking and in these times of stripping and in these times of uncertainty. He has a child, uh, metaphorically speaking, that is going to be birthed from us called Ishmael, Ishmael, God hears. And it's not necessary that that Ishmael go on to be a wild donkey of a man kicking and screaming if we yield to God's timing and God's purposes, unlike Abraham and Sarah, who tried to force God's plan and created this wild donkey of a man, so to speak, and all sorts of trouble for God's people. But if we'll wait and let God be the God who hears, and if we'll let God see us, if we will see God seeing us as he chooses to reveal himself, there is this promise of joy and multiplication that God is coming to us. Perhaps you're in a season right now where you feel like you've been cast out relationally, and maybe you haven't felt it, maybe you actually have, or maybe circumstantially, uh, like I said, you feel like you're in this barren wasteland. Um, Does it feel like life is using you and abusing you? I just want to assure you right now that God is coming. The angel of the Lord is going to meet you in that broken place. You know, really, it's in the places of greatest desolation and disorientation when all the false voices around us are gone that God's voice literally can penetrate and be heard in our deeps. Um, Scholar Walter Brueggemann notes that there is this three-part pattern in our lives that we see highlighted in the Psalms. These three parts are first orientation. Orientation is a time when life makes sense and we're enjoying God and his presence. And if you're there right now, 
a time of orientation, man, don't waste it by worrying about when that's going to go away. <laughs> you know, Really soak up. When God gives times of what Ignatius called times of consolation, don't ruin it by worrying about when desolation is coming. Mm-hmm. But really embrace and let your spirit and soul grow strong in these and thick in these times of orientation where things make sense, where you're in flow. You've, you're with the grain of the universe. Yeah. There's nothing like being in a season where you're just able to enjoy God and receive what's happening with gladness. Um, But there's also, uh, like I said, this three-part pattern, there's also the second pattern, which is disorientation. Um, Disorientation can be a time when we are hurt. Uh, Perhaps we're suffering and we're wondering, where are you, God? Um, But through that disorientation comes this third pattern, which Brueggemann calls new orientation. New orientation is the time when God breaks in and we meet him in a new way. So for Hagar, God broke in and she met Yahweh in a new way. That was her new orientation, so to speak. And it was a new way of deeper intimacy. It was a a new way of, of, of more profound experience mm-hmm. for Hagar, even possibly a moment of deeper conversion, being an Egyptian slave, turning even more from the gods that she had trusted in, the false voices that she had listened to, mm-hmm. the gods that she had sought after and tried to see. Now she, with deep profundity and reality, was meeting the living God who heard her and she heard him hearing her <laughs> and she saw him seeing her. There's a level of intimacy here that we can't miss in this new orientation that Brueggemann talks about, Yeah, where even our desperate circumstances, we begin to see them in a newly oriented way. And that is the beautiful process of following Jesus, Mm -hmm. though painful and just gnarly ugly at times. Yeah. And that pattern, we're going to see it, those three patterns, excuse me, we're going to see them repeated in our lives. We're going to have seasons of just orientation, We're going to have seasons of disorientation and the new orientation, and that is going to repeat itself throughout our life. Mm. You know, the story of Hagar tells us that she, in the desert, was by a spring. It's incredible. spring of sure. Yes. She was near water, even in her desolation. Centuries later, the authors of the New Testament would refer to both the Holy Spirit and the scriptures with analogies of water. In times of disorientation, we must, we have to surrender to the living waters that Jesus promised would flow out of our innermost being by the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And we have to dig ourselves deep into wells that draw out the water of the word of God. When we've been cast out or disoriented in relationships or just by blind circumstance, the enemy, I know we've all experienced this, this, the enemy tempts us to rely on our own inner strength and ingenuity. Like Sarah and Abraham were like, okay, the promise came, but it hasn't happened. So with their own ingenuity, they ended up really bringing brokenness into not just their own lives, but for generations. Mm. And when that happens, so much pain comes out of that. So much hurt is birthed out of that. But really, in 
being cast out or disoriented or hit by blind circumstance, that can really become a season and a time for us to rely on God who is at work in mysterious ways. I love to say he's at work in these hidden ways. It's important that we read his word and we wait for his voice to become clear. This morning, I was meditating in Psalm 22, and honestly, when I opened uh, my Bible and I realized I was in Psalm 22, I was kind of like, ugh, I don't want to read Psalm 22. It feels like really down, but I was like, all right, no, I want to read it. I'm going to read it slowly. I love how we, we pick and choose. <laughs> I only want the big, happy, skippy, lovey verses. True. For God so loved me, I don't want to read about my God. Why have you forsaken me? <laughs> but it was really incredible because in this agonizing psalm, I came across this text, this part of the text that I maybe didn't really notice before, but it was in Psalm 22, verse 24. It said, For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. Again, it's that whole idea of he hears. He has seen it. He is aware of the affliction of the afflicted, and he has heard his cry for help. This text um, is found in one of the clearest prophecies of the crucifixion of Jesus. It literally opens with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then goes on to describe in detail the the experience of Jesus on the cross. Now, the terror of the cross was that it appeared to be the ultimate injustice. It appeared as if the father had truly turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to his son. But in actuality, they together were working the redemption for all humanity. Mm. Jesus absorbed all of our using, all of our abusing, our stereotyping, and our casting aside of others into himself, not to destroy us, but to destroy death. So to hear God hearing us and to see God seeing us is to literally sit in front of the cross. It's to go into the tomb, the utter silence and darkness with this dead body, and it's to wait for resurrection. It's to wait to be raised in him with hope and new life. That is the mystical union of the Christian with Christ, the apprentice of Jesus with his reality. St. Paul, the whole of his theology revolves around this aspect or this mysterious reality that you when you experience a sense of abandonment or desolation, in some measure are being crucified with Christ. We are dying and have died past tense with Christ, Paul says in many passages, and promises in the book of Romans that if we died with Christ, we'll rise with him. It's, it's those mystical realities that we do have to slow down and ponder that we do have to let frame up our understanding of the God who sees us and the God who hears us. And the safest place to abide 
is at the foot of the cross. It is where all of these promises to hear and see have their fulfillment, where God embodied comes and does for us what we couldn't do and absorbs into himself what we have done. And it is grace upon grace upon grace that opens our eyes um, out there in the desert, so to speak, to see the angel of the Lord seeing us. I want to wrap this up with just three kind of concrete takeaways, um, very, very simple things. Moving this from this narrative story uh, and our circumstances and then the theology of the cross that assures us and governs our souls and, and saves us into just some really concrete things that you can do as soon as we wrap up and you take your earbuds out. The first is this. If you're disoriented right now, you need to rest as best as you can. Oftentimes when we get into these places of desolation or disorientation with God, we become more like Abraham and Sarah than we do Hagar. Um, we begin to plan and strategize how God is going to fulfill his promise to us. And it produces more mess than is necessary, dear friend. Um, having been one over the years who uh, has produced mess, you do reach a stage where you, you simply recognize in times of disorientation, the greatest act of pure faith is to, to wait and to rest practically, like concretely, literally, go lay down and take a nap. If you have that availability to yourself, go lay down and take a nap. Slow down and wait to that degree. He is coming. Beyond that, uh, this waiting phase, waiting for the angel of the Lord come to us in our desolation or in our desert space, um, like Hagar, go and physically find a quiet space and become still. You can only imagine what this woman was doing in her tears as she found the, the spring of Shur out there in the deserts of Judea. And then she sat down by the water, the water of the Holy Spirit within, the water of the Word of God without. You sit and you become still in these places. And you simply attune your conscious awareness to the fact that God has promised to be present, that He's present right now. He is present all around you and aware. And he, as a believer, has promised to be present within you. Even if your emotional disorder and chaos doesn't have that experiential sense of peace that surpasses understanding in this moment, by faith, by pure faith, become still in the presence of Jesus who indwells you. Living water coming from your innermost being. The second concrete thing you can do and must do is read scripture. And I don't just mean read it for um, your intellectual or for data in your head. I mean read it in union with God. Um, we practice Lectio Divina often, and so you come to the text and you slow down and you read passages, you read gospel stories, you read promises from Paul, you read the prayers of the Psalms and the, the, the little points of wisdom through Proverbs, you read them slowly. You chew on them and you let them affect your innermost being. The Hebrew uh, term for meditation is hagah. It means literally to mumble. You mumble these passages. You mumble these words in and out and through your being ever so slowly. 
because that is really the water, the spring of sure that we find ourselves able to sit by and draw from and hear in the voice of our Father. Um, Number three, in these quiet spaces, look back and try to reflect on different times of desolation or disorientation that you've already gone through in your life. Try to reflect on those times where it felt like the world was coming down around you, where you were very uncertain, um, and how God shaped your soul in that time. Um, What lessons did you learn? What thickness of character did he produce? And how ultimately did he uh, come to you, speak to you, see you, and deliver you? And then finally, as with all things in Christianity, maybe the most difficult aspect of all of this is to give thanks Um, generate gratitude within your innermost being that God is affording you an opportunity to experience this level of intimacy with him. I know that sounds so counterintuitive. We have been trained by a Western model of triumphalism and uh, and victor, victor, constantly being the victor and the winner, um, that the only blessing that comes to us is when God is doing big and great and amazing things and everything is oriented the way that we think it should be. That's just not the narrative of the Bible. You can actually give thanks for the disorientation. And you can actually give thanks that this desolation is going to produce a level of intimacy with your God. It's going to um, attune your ears to hearing him, hearing you in such an intense and beautiful and powerful way. And in the uncertainty, you can actually begin to give gratitude that, Father, though I cannot see, it is through this circumstance or this situation that I will begin to see you seeing me in ways that I never could have. Dear friend, you are so loved and so seen and so heard. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious with you where you're at today. May the Lord lift up his countenance towards you and give you peace. Shalom, friends. Shalom.